0: The scripture reading for our meditation today is taken from the Acts of the Apostles, written by St. Luke, the 15th chapter, beginning with verse 12. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up, brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written, "'After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name,' says the Lord who does these things." Things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. These are your words, Heavenly Father. They are your truth. We pray that you would strengthen our faith through them. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> One of my uncles was a missionary down in Peru, and after he had been there a while, he went driving out into the countryside, and he saw on a number of people's farms and communities that there would be a wooden cross, kind of a large wooden cross erected, and then there would be like mittens and gloves and caps and T-shirts attached to it, like someone had nailed them right to these wooden crosses. And he started to investigate about it. And he found out that what, what basically had happened is that when Christianity came to that part of the world, a lot of the old kind of pagan ideas were kind of kept and hung on to. And people sort of mishmashed the two religions together. And there was an old pagan thought among the Peruvians that. If, if somebody in your family got sick, let's say your child got sick, you would take up an article of their clothing and nail it or somehow attach it to an idol that would help, that God then supposedly would help heal your child. And so it was an interesting, it was an interesting thing that, that, uh, that people would take this and attach this to a cross, even though, of course, the Bible would say nothing about that being a way to be healed and so on. This happens occasionally in mission fields where missionaries go out. When, when they, the gospel comes to a people that maybe for centuries haven't had uh, any message about Christ before, they'll sometimes take an old pagan heathen practice that they had and kind of um, mix it in with the Christian faith that, the, that has now been brought to them. We've had African missionaries on our campus and they've told similar stories. And in Norway, if you look at some of the old churches in Norway that were built back when Christianity first arrived, they often had like dragons on the corners of the churches. And it was an old pagan idea from the Vikings that that you would keep the evil spirits away if you had these dragons there. So this is something that, that is often challenging for new missionaries when they are bringing the gospel and the message about Christ to sort of root out and, and reteach people about some of the old pagan ways and practices uh, that, that they might still have sort of so deeply ingrained in them. And the early Christian community back in the first century that we're reading from in the book of Acts actually had a lot of similar issues to wrestle with as well. Similar problems, if you will. And it goes in a variety of directions because some of the practices of, of the ancient heathen world that, where Christianity was now making inroads, um, a lot of people wanted to hold on to some of these ancient ideas. Animal sacrifices to their gods. Uh, sexual impurities that were often done as part of the actual worship life of people for many of their pagan gods. And these things, of course, were offensive to the Jewish people. In Christian congregations, people who had come out of Judaism and had now come to see that Christ the Messiah had actually come and so there was there was a lot of tension sometimes as to uh, how 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 much of this stuff people had to let go of and, and so on and then in addition to that it 's kind of hard for us, maybe as modern day Christians to imagine this but back in at the time of Christ and soon thereafter you had people who had grown up maybe they were old fossils like me and they had lived in the old testament Jewish church now for 60 some years and suddenly now the messiah has come they've come to realize that that Jesus Christ Jesus of Nazareth Nazareth is the true messiah that God had promised through all those years and they now had come to faith in him as the savior and and yet at the same time it's tough to give up those old practices of what foods to eat or who i should eat with there were regulations that were binding on them from that old testament ceremonial law so this was a time of great confusion in the church it was it was a time of difficulty to work a lot of these challenges and issues out and that's really what this first council or synod meeting if you will is all about that they had to discuss, how are we going to handle a lot of these things that were part of the Old Testament ceremonial law, and now we have Gentiles who are not raised Jewish coming into this church, and how are we going to blend all of this properly together? So the Jewish Christians had come to appreciate and treasure who this Jesus of Nazareth was, the one that God had sent into the world for every one of us, to to live out a perfect record for us a perfect holiness that god could then give to us in our baptism that that uh, he had gone to the cross to make the payment for all the wicked things we would have done that have done that would have kept us out of heaven and yet now by faith in him we have all of our sins washed away and forgiven so and and the fact that christ had risen again from the dead to give us the promise, he says, "Because I live, you shall live also." Think of all the the wonderful things that we have in Christ, and really, that's what that's what James's talk is all about: is the blessings that we have in this Christ. Okay, the blessings that we have in Him. Whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, whether you've been in the Jewish faith for years before, uh, none of that mattered. All of a sudden. Let's just focus on Christ and what he's done for us. And, and really, that's essentially what we're doing right here today, isn't it? Okay. We may feel like we're thousands of years away from these people and we speak different languages and wear different clothes and eat different food, but it's all about Jesus Christ. And that's, that's really what this is all about. So at this first sort of synod meeting, if you will, there were, there were certain crucial meetings like this that had to be held to, to make proper decisions of how the New Testament church should go forward. And sometimes this happens in groups and businesses and organizations where a very important meeting will establish the trajectory from that point forward of what takes place. You and I sitting here today have benefited and are living under the very decisions that were made at this crucial meeting. Uh, In the early, early church, we are still benefiting from the decisions made at that meeting. Just a little bit about the man who speaks, this James. He was a pastor in Jerusalem, one of the leaders of the church, referred to as the brother of Jesus. Uh, The early Christian writers refer to him also as the one that wrote the book of James, the epistle that we just read from. And he is mentioned as one by Saint Paul, mentions him as one that Jesus appeared to very particularly after he came back to life again from the dead. And we also know that he was martyred around 63 AD for preaching the gospel. Notice in this text, though, the excitement that there is in the early church to hear about all of these non-Jewish people, these Gentiles, who are now coming to faith in Christ. And that's still true of us today, isn't it? When we hear about great mission work that's done and other people are brought to the knowledge of their Savior, there's a joy that's awakened in us. We love to hear that. We love to see that the efforts of the church and her mission are, are bringing things to fruition in terms of God the Holy Spirit working through that to bring people to faith. We want to see heaven packed, absolutely packed, With many people from all over the world and different races and backgrounds who will be sitting down to feast with us at the table of salvation. And in this little speech that we have from James, kind of a mini-sermon, we see some very wonderful qualities. Let's just take a note of a few of them. First of all, he notes that God had always desired that the heathen would convert. God had always wanted this, even though he had particularly chosen his chosen people, the Jews, to be the ones to bring the Messiah into the world. Nevertheless, his desire was always to have others know about this Savior. And he quotes from the book of Amos regarding his church. Listen, I will restore it, that's my church, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name. That's probably talking about you more than likely right here today says the Lord who does these things. Sometimes we think about the, the Old Testament church or the faith of the Old Testament as being restricted, restricted just to the Jewish people. But that's really not the case. If you search throughout Scripture, there are many uh, non-Jewish people who are part of that church. I'll just name a few. Melchizedek at the time of Abraham. Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. Caleb, mentioned in the book of Numbers, a Canaanite. Rahab, even a Canaanite prostitute who was brought to faith. Ruth, the Moabite. Uh, Uriah, the Hittite, who was killed by David when he slept with her her, her wife. The Ninevites, God even sent a particular prophet, Jonah, to go and reach them with the gospel. So it has always and always was and still is God's desire to bring in people from all different backgrounds and nationalities. Notice also that James encourages precise doctrine that should come only based upon Scripture. He says, the words of the prophets are in agreement with this. Jesus says to us, if you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then finally, this, this heart for God, to, that God's heart is to, to reach so many, and to have so many others join us at the Feast of Salvation. We're told the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And so James says, let's not make it difficult for more to learn about this wonderful Savior. The same elements that Jesus spoke in his great commission are alive here in this speech as well. And how blessed, how absolutely blessed you and I are to be a part of this wonderful church that will someday gather around our Lord's throne. Amen. Please rise for prayer. O Lord God Almighty, mercifully grant that we who know you now by faith may with our whole heart believe in Jesus Christ, our only Savior, serve him, and steadfastly confess and glorify him making known his saving word among all nations. We ask this through the same, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one true God, now and forever. Amen.